I'm Zach Dunlap, pastor of Multisite at Birmingham and Berkeley First. Welcome to Church Folks, the new podcast where we interview folks from our church community about who they are and what God is doing in their lives. Throughout the Bible, people are encouraged to bear witness to what they have seen and heard. Continuing in that tradition, this podcast offers a forum for people to get to know one another and be inspired. Our hope is that the stories of these church folks empower you to share your stories, to inspire others, and to be a part of beloved community together. I'm here today with Chris Freeman, who is the Director of Modern Worship across both campuses of Birmingham and Berkeley First. Chris, what does music mean to your soul? Oh, man. Okay. So music, I think where I probably find the most life, the most encouragement personally is composing, creating. Um, I... uh, I like to write music and, and, and I tend to write robust, longer pieces of music with the band that I'm in. Um, but I think that skill set uh, factors well into the church music scene in terms of rearranging music, truncating it, extending it, you know, manipulating it in a way that like fits well with the format that I think best serves the congregation. And so I've been able to play uh, play that kind of role even with uh, with my church music too, being able to get a little creative and um, restructuring things so that it, it works to a specific end. Um, and that's been fun too. I want to talk about your band a little bit in just a minute, but um, how do you weave music together uh, to really create flow in a worship service? Man, I guess I'd think of three things like emotional ethos, content, and then uh, the context, you know, so there are songs that have like an obvious lyrical theme that I think fits well with the the motif of the day, like the sermon theme. And so really placing that uh, strategically as a follow-up, maybe to a message that really reinforces an idea that people want to spend more time with. They want to sit in that space and music is a great way to continue to stay in that space, given a certain theme that's been presented in the sermon, you know, uh, sometimes the ethos, the emotional ethos though, it's less to do with the lyrics and there's just something, especially with modern music, uh, worship music, where there's a simplicity where there's, there, it's, you know, it's repetitive. It's, I mean, I, I'm, that's not a, a cynical remark, but it, like the song we just did last Sunday, the blessing, you know, it's just how many times can you sing amen in this beautiful way with all these voices? It doesn't matter because it transports you to a space and that ethos, that context is, um, is incredibly, incredibly meaningful. Um, but then there's like, just, you know, getting, getting creative with like songs, have a certain energy, up-tempo songs, low-tempo songs, and, uh, making sure that they're ordered in a way that, that also contributes to the overall script, if you will. So like the service as a script, you're telling a story. It's almost like a movie. It has these parts and they all need to serve. What's the real agenda here? you know, and the real agenda is engagement and uh, clarity. And the clarity would be a matter of the message and kind of how that's seeping into the fabric of the service, not just the message, but um, the stuff that happens around it. So I try to think of that too, you know, like um, having, having a good opener is not just about, you know, an emotional kind of response or the lyrical content, but the fact that it makes sense as an opener. It's a little more upbeat 
And then it's followed by another song that's a little more chill, but it still kind of drives, you know, and it kind of feels like a, like a flow, like a story, a narrative flow that you're like, the arc makes sense to me. You're not starting with a person on a piano and then the next song is a four on the floor Bethel tune that's like blowing everybody's hair back, you know, um, unless again, it fits with some kind of broader um, thing that we're trying to accomplish with the service. And um, that's totally doable, but it really has to be intentional. What would you say is the goal of worship? Oh man. Um, maybe one way of putting it. I, so I'm, I'm definitely a fan of, uh, acknowledging how worship can mean so many different things. Um, and so that that's, that's kind of the first thing I, I communicate to people of like, I'm, I've never been a fan of getting religious about worship. And I've always been uncomfortable with this, this idea of worship being a matter of expressing love to God. But then in terms of some of the theology, it's something we're required to do. And so living in that tension, I think is a healthy thing for me of just acknowledging, like there's a theological precedence for it being an obligation, but yet it's supposed to be an expression of love, which for me is something that you choose to do or not do. You know, that's how love works. So it's like, well, which is it? Do you do it because you have to, but you have to do it as a free expression or you do it as a free expression. If you're feeling it, if you're not, then you don't do it. You know, so those are some of the intellectual things that I sort of, you know, sit in. But if I were to be honest, like for me, it's exploring different languages that allow access to God, maybe is the way I'd put it. Yeah. I think that makes total sense. Yeah. Um, you know, God is present always, everywhere. Um, but but in worship, perhaps we become more aware of God's presence. Mm -hmm. It becomes mm -hmm. palpable to us. Not that the goal of worship is is our our feelings or whatever, right? Um, but I I totally get what you're saying about like if worship is our proper response to a holy God, like that's great intellectually, and that I believe that's true. Sure, sure, yeah. But yeah, love cannot be forced or coerced. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> like love God, darn it, and sing this song, you know. And, and that's not how like a church would present it, but um, but it's it's that like really honoring the act of freely expressing and exploring, um, this desire for connection, you know, it's, it's really, it's all about the relationality. Um, and I'm a firm believer that emotion is not just a reaction. It's a facilitator. It's a tool. It's a resource. It, it is an energy place that we can find ourselves in that, that brings about certain connections and, and a sense of awareness that might not be able to be put in a language, but maybe poetry, maybe song, a hand in the air, like all of that stuff is fair game when you're really in that kind of space. And so I, I know I kind of sound a little more of a hippie with that kind of thing, but, uh, but it's, it's kind of, it's kind of, that's usually the stuff that's kind of rolling around in my head when I'm feeling these things in the moment and looking at these faces and seeing these people in their element and just feeling totally at peace with what I'm a part of. Yeah. yeah. You know, for so much of the pandemic, we were essentially online, either literally like recording in our yeah. dens and our basements and you were piecing services together. Oh. Or we were here just with, you know, band and tech folks, you know, in the church building. Um, what feels different about having a gathered congregation, about being together as a worshiping community? Man, I would say, um, I don't want to, I don't want to be 
excessive here, but it's really a, a kind of a mystical thing. You know, the, where two or more are gathered, it's something I really believe. I think, you know, inherent in our theology is this idea of God being intrinsically communal, you know? Um, and, and that, I think that's, that's just what this is, you know, whether or not we acknowledge it, whether or not we live in that, um, the kingdom of God, right. This idea, it's, it's all over the place in scripture. And I, and I, you know, whatever, however the language fails us, what's wonderful about the 21st century is that science is starting to catch up with this reality that we are energetically connected. And I think that's, a, that's that, you know, if a benign being created a benign universe, it would be predicated on love and love is connection. And I think connection is what we live in. And I think worship is a way of like feeling that even if we don't have the language for it, there's a, there's a solidarity there that really is difficult to experience like remotely. But, um, but I think there's room to explore that as well, you know? Um, and I think it's important to do that because that's the world we live in. That's where it's headed, right? Chris, tell us a little bit about the band, about your own personal band. Yeah, it's it's a it's a we are all exotic dancers, and so we figured <laughs> you know uh, people who are into that kind of thing need Jesus too. And so there's not a lot of clothes. I'm totally kidding. That is all. A lot. Chris is not an exotic dancer, <laughs> at least as far as I am aware. Is it, but I tell not, what, what what is the name of your band yeah, and yeah. what's your music like? How would you describe it? Yeah. Um. So I um every every worship person uh usually has a band or a project mine is called moses the black it's a three piece three piece instrumental group uh and it's post-rock it's a little more on the heavy side of post-rock but it's instrumental and it you know people who don't know what post-rock is it's basically like movie music that's being um articulated with like rock and roll instruments so it has that kind of cinematic feel the textures and the movement of the music feels like something you would hear you know during a battle scene of some you know middle earth kind of you know combat situation or whatever it, it tends to sound quote-unquote epic um and hence the longer songs and uh some of the some of the energy you know it, it has that like that dark kind of haunting feel or just super super powerful um uh climaxes to the music um and uh and so yeah i've been at it for a few years with a couple guys and it's just one of those little side hustles i have and it's, it's been been again it's a great creative outlet for me you talked about having kind of a darker feel too. I know your favorite holiday of the whole year is Halloween. Yes. Um, what 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 intrigues you about kind of this interaction between uh, dark and light, between opposing forces, if you will? Yeah. You know, um, some of it I don't know. You know, there's this thing as a kid, when I look back... I think we all can kind of reflect uh, on like, what were those things that like I was just drawn to? And it's hard to say it was a product of nurturing product of my environment. Like there's plenty, I'm, I'm not trying to make an argument, psychoanalytic argument for nurture versus nature, but as a kid, I loved aggressive music and I love scary stuff. That was just, you know, I would camp out in the book aisle where the UFO and the, and the ghost, that, that, that's the only stuff I would read uh, at the library when I was, you know, 10 years old or whatever. Um, so some of it, I can't quite explain. Um, but I think as I get older, I, I tend to, uh, find a lot of comfort, um, courageously engaging the gray and from the gray, you can see that sometimes what we call white is not always as innocent and pure as we'd think. And sometimes what we would call the dark is maybe more spiritual than we're willing to acknowledge. And I'm not like, 
implying anything weird. It's just, um, you know, even in the uh, contemplative traditions and, and, you know, motifs like the moon and the night and finding God, you know, the dark night of the soul and some of the, even spiritually, I've tended to see value in the, um, the midnight hour of a, of, of a, of a prayer life or prayer routine and not just, you know, Sunday morning. Um, and so I think the older I get, I've realized that there's kind of a spiritual resonance with that idea of, of some of the darker themes and that the, they can actually facilitate some pretty cool stuff. And I, and I like monsters and candy and scary movies too. I mean, <laughs> I don't, I don't have a spiritual explanation for that. <laughs> I, I'm a fan of Halloween just because I think it's the one time of the year where we as a society mock death. Yeah. You know, cool. We're I like so that. scared of death and people don't want to talk about it. And, 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 you know, and, and, and just to be able to like get all dressed up and pass out candy and mock death and say, you know, you do not have the last word. I think is a beautiful thing. Yeah. Um, what, what first brought you into the life of the church, big C church in general, and then tell us about how you wound up here at Birmingham and Berkeley first. Yeah. Okay. For those who are listening, Chris Freeman is not known for brevity. So I'm going to give it a real, I'm going to give a real try here. It really started with um, Christian rock. So as a kid, I was, I really grew up in the Christian metal scene when it was just emerging and, and really creating some waves. And so no surprise, um, right after high school, I started touring and spending time in that world in professional Christian music. And so the way the ministry was working, uh, you know, parachurch ministry during that time, or just churches in general, were very interested in bringing in acts that were part of events or conferences. And so I was usually part of the band that was brought in, um, that preceded like the speaker moment of the, of the event. Um, and so that was a big part of my, uh, my experiences, um, in my twenties for sure. Twenties and early thirties, um, was just touring and playing and, um, and all of that and was able to be a part of some fairly successful versions of that. So it's pretty, pretty, pretty cool experiences. Um, but that also allowed me to get some experience with the church in the context of music and ministry. And so, uh, I went back to school and knocked out my religion and philosophy stuff. Cause it's also a passion of mine planning to go to masters. You know, I, I, I won an award on a paper and all my professors were like, you need, this needs to be your jam in master school. And I'm like, all right, sounds good. And then a church got a hold of me and pitched this, this job situation. And I was like, gosh, write papers for the rest of my life or get help health insurance. I'm going to, I'm going to do this. Trip. <laughs> now it was more, it was much more of a spiritual decision than that. But, um, but that's kind of where I finished up my degree in something unrelated to music. Music was what got me through college. And then a church reached out to me and enjoyed the fact that I had practical experience. I had this practical experience that I could bring to the table. And, uh, and so, uh, Ward church in Northville was my first like, um, you know, full-time job in a fairly big church. And I'm, pretty much been doing that my whole life. And, uh, you know, Berkeley was simply a situation of, uh, having a friend that I'd worked with at the churches that I was at. And, um, he happened to mention Berkeley and I kind of opened up to him about a desire to kind of shift to part-time and make some space for other things. And he's like, you know, they're looking for a part-time guy. And he put me in touch with you, Zach. It was love at first sight. And, you know, almost five years later, here we are. <laughs> Feeling is mutual. Cool. Cool. What do you love most about church work? And what do you find most frustrating about church oh, work? <laughs> uh, Keep it PG. Yeah, PG. No, no, I've done, <laughs> I have not dropped one swear word. I'm, I'm so proud of myself. I, uh, what I love most about it is um, that I can look back on it and like what, what I enjoy most about it is that it's had a very personal experience. You know, the, the ways in which I did my job at Ward 
and then at Kensington, other places, and then here, you know, it's all, you know, the mystery of finding evidence for a relationship with God um, is, is, it'll be a challenge for every believer. Um, but for me to look back and to see how um, the timing, the specifics, the, so in other words, what I find rewarding about it is less to do with the fact that it's music and that it's ministry. I mean, that's hugely valuable to me, you know, um, but it's been this space within which God's been working on me. And even now, you know, times when, when I'm trying to work through questions, I tend to get stuck in my head sometimes. And, and there's just this incredible, uh, dialogue that's been happening over all these years. And I will say I had this moment, uh, I think it was last Sunday, Zach, last Sunday, the rewards in the smiles and faces and stories of the people that I've been with, I'm very relational. So most of the people I work with, um, I've, I've been working with in various churches for quite a while. Uh, some of them going on 10 years and every once in a while, you'll get those updates from people in the form of them thanking you and appreciating the opportunities and the connections that, um, I have facilitated, uh, in some part enough for them to acknowledge it. And it's just like, oh, you know, to, to see not just, you know, the gospel being presented effectively, but to see real situations, real lives, being able to, um, acknowledge this difference because they, they, they've been in my life for so long. And, you know, it's kind of one of those, like, after like 15 years, I think I've been doing something right. These people are still in my life. We're still doing ministry together. They're still asking questions or different questions. And, and it's like, I can, I can feel good about that. You know, it's, it's, it was a kind of cool takeaway from last Sunday. I had three specific, you know, Rachel thanking me for the job here, Eric, our drummer, thanking me for certain connections I made that are now his main source of income. You know, somebody else thanking me for an opportunity uh, that I connected them with. And it was just like, I'm glad I can help people you know, uh, in healthy ways. And it, it feels really good. So, yeah. That's beautiful. It feels so good to be able to help people yeah. and, and to see, to be in relationship with people long enough to see transformation, not only in them, but in ourselves yes. um, over the course of, of, of years and even decades. Yeah. Yeah. Um, oh, you asked frustrating though. No, keep going. But oh, I just, yeah, sure. What, yeah. What, what's uh, most frustrating about church work too? So I, I, uh, you're going to laugh at this. You like, there's things like, you know, the, 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 you know, scheduling people and folks canceling on you musicians, right? We're all like, what day of the week is it? And you're just like, I I can't send you enough text to help you remember it's Wednesday today. You know, like you gotta <laughs> just like, so there's, you know, there's all that stuff, but I think, um, what's been frustrating, but, um, the flip side is encouraging is that for someone like me, I, I tend to not analyze why I do what I do in terms of leadership. And I think, um, a lot of why I found myself in leadership positions is not necessarily because I'm good at it, but because I'm a safe person and people want me in those positions because they trust me, you know, and I've had to grow. I've really had to grow, uh, but I've just sort of done it more intuitively, organically, if you will. And so now I'm in my forties and I've, I've done a better job of like trying to get a handle on what is it? What, what do I do? Why, why do I have other, you know, I've had enough people comment on like, you're a people magnet or you, you do things differently. And I'm like, I don't always know exactly what that is. And so I've been getting better at it, but it's, it's a challenge for me to kind of self-analyze in that way of like, why, why, yeah, why, why, why am I the way I am when it comes to leadership, you know? And, um, so it can be kind of frustrating because I'm like, I, I, I don't know, just let me do my thing, you know? And it's like, but the more I can get clear on my style 
uh, the more I can figure out ways to articulate it to other people as a, as a form of encouragement or instruction that can help them expand on some of the relational dimensions of what they're trying to accomplish. So awesome. Chris, you have been training to become a spiritual coach. Yeah. Also, you're kind of in the middle of that right now. Yeah. yeah. Um, can you tell us about that process? Yeah. Yeah. It's uh, the process is right now is more of a scholastic kind of thing, classes and videos and book work and such. And, um, but it was really one of those, like, um, I've told you this Zach, but I'll tell the listener, you know, how do I expand on my uh, potential as a leader, given that I'll be drawn to ministry for, you know, the rest of my life. And, and I don't, I don't think I'm suitable to be a pastor. I thought about being, you know, um, going back and getting social work, you know, like a, a licensed social work, you know, kind of, it's sort of a, um, a necessary thing for being a therapist. My wife is a licensed therapist, uh, but that's a big commitment, right? Like, like you're going to be doing doctorate work. That's three years of like really hustle and bustle. And same thing if I'd gone back for my master's. And so the life coach thing really stuck out as a, as an achievable, realistic goal in terms of the money and the time. And it would, uh, in effect, uh, give me experience, but also credentialing to uh, further expand my potential to speak into people's lives. And that's ultimately what it is. It's just one more resource I have to help people. I mean, I'll make a little money. You know, it'll be a nice side hustle. Sure. But um, but that's the real, I want to help people. And the, the pandemic was an opportunity for me to really recognize that folks, when they're in a tight spot, so many of them reach out to me. And it was getting overwhelming. I remember processing with you and other pastors, like I feel more like a pastor during this quarantine time than a music director. And that was one of those aha moments. So it's like spiritual realizations of like, oh, I could probably do more of this more formally, you know, and people like, yeah, people make money doing this, you know? And, uh, and so it, it eventually led me to four streams, which is the, the, the life coaching, uh, company that I'm working with and they've been great. I think too, it's so much of it is at least from my perspective, a matter of like, you know, coming to grips with and owning your own spiritual gifts and then mm. like deciding to hone those right yeah. like when I mean, you have all these people who are coming to you who are are seeking counsel and encouragement and and wisdom um and to acknowledge that and say oh yeah if this is something that I'm not only doing now but see myself doing more of in the future mm-hmm. how can I um polish those spiritual gifts and get some more formal training and everything to uh to help in that way. Mm. Um, how do you look forward to utilizing these new skills and training in the months to come? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the, there's probably three quick things. It, some, some of it is like, as far as utilizing, it's, it's something that, you know, if I had to do a side hustle for money, it's something that I think would a be super, um, it, it would help financially, but I see it as such a compliment to ministry. And I think that was to kind of answer the question, what a, a realistic compliment, to what I'm doing now at life coaching felt like, Oh, this could really serve my role in ministry, you know? And so I probably will find that it will further assist me in terms of conversations with people about spirituality is how they navigate the tension, you know? And it's, it's there, it's not that you Zach or any pastor is incapable of, of walking with people alongside of them in that tension, but for whatever reason, there's a few, but like, um, you know, there, there's, there's a, there's this thing with people where they're, they're maybe not comfortable having those kinds of conversations in a church and like me being in the church and typically attracting people that would otherwise not feel comfortable in the church. It's just one more way for me to, to really develop skills that allow me to listen to their journey and speak into their journey, not judge it, not redirect it, 
not deem it inappropriate, but simply allow it to be and to find some ways to give them more encouragement to live in that tension as someone who's coming from a faith perspective, but also who's brutally honest with some of the existential dimensions of like, what does it mean to work this stuff out in the everyday, you know, and that's probably where the spiritual life coaching part will, will factor. It'll, it'll feel like this, um, this dialogue about spirituality, you know. What are some of the tensions you think we live with every day as humans? Oh man. <laughs> um, tensions, tensions. Uh, listen to me just kind of not know what to say. Cause there's so many and I want to be careful to not treat my tensions as like a universal thing. Well, that's yeah. fair. Yeah, yeah. You can make it as personal or universal as you'd like. What I think the church is going to have to get better at in the 21st century in terms of tension is starting to have a more honest conversation with mental health and to really look at how does the idea that if I don't love God and I'm sent to hell serve my emotional health, that's been a little more dismissed in the past. And now I think in the 21st century, there's a new... Um, I see an emerging interest in restricting evangelical conversations about theology to the domain of 21st century clinical science about mental and emotional health. And when you restrict conversations to that domain, it's a little more tricky uh, when it comes to wanting to make moral exceptions for God in terms of certain theologies when emotional mental science is saying, but that, that doesn't serve someone's um, positive identity formation. Like believing these things actually scientifically speaking is not good for your mental, emotional health. And so that tension, that tension of like, but there's a, there's a theological precedence for some of these things, but then the science of mental health is saying that will never serve the most vibrant version of a human being. You know, in the past it was the science of evolution was a scary threat. Like what, you know, that's not really the case now. I think the new thing will be the science of psychology, which is relatively speaking a new science. But I think psychology is getting a lot better at talking about what constitutes a positive identity and the extent to which that collides with certain theological motifs and how do we navigate that? And I'm not saying you can't, it's just, it's, it's a conversation that is still pretty awkward with, um, uh, I wouldn't say, uh, you know, liberal progressive, but like there, there's definitely conservative Christianity, you know, the hot, the hellfire brimstone kind of literalism of some of that stuff. It's certain atonement theories that are a little more um, the murder motif and blood and something has to die. And, you know, that, that, that kind of thing um, has been, you know, kind of, it hasn't really been critiqued as heavily by um, psychological perspectives as it is now. And I'm kind of, you know, with my bag of popcorn, looking at the whole thing going, oh man, how is this going to work out? <laughs> and to whatever extent I can kind of be one of those persons that is comfortable with both areas, yeah. loving God and loving my emotional health. I feel like I could be one of those people who can speak fairly into that conversation as someone who, who values both. And I think too, it's important to acknowledge that like, God knows us fully. God loves us fully, not just you and I, but every person on the face of the earth, all of our listeners here today too. And um, God knows us and loves us as whole persons. Yeah. You know, oftentimes in Christianity, we talk about like beliefs specifically. And I mean, clearly I believe that beliefs are hugely important. Mm -hmm. Um, I am, you know, a, I would call a classic Orthodox Christian, Christian in, in yeah. believing kind of the great truths of the faith that have be, been believed everywhere, always, and by all. But um, there are new things that we're coming to grips with. Yeah. yeah. That we're living in that tension of, of saying, okay, how does this new understanding fit within a gospel framework or yeah. how does a gospel 
framework speak to this new understanding that we yeah, have? Exactly. And how can we love and know people more fully as humans together, um, just as we are fully known and fully loved by God? I love that, Zach. That, yeah, what you said. <laughs> can you tell us about your own personal spiritual practices? Mm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I have been more, I mean, um, categorically, I probably would fall more into the contemplative arena, um, in terms of practices and perspectives. Um, I, uh, I've had this suspicion that like personality types, people are also driven by spiritual preferences. And, um, you know, some people are really, you know, driven towards history and science and scripture or the ethics, you know, like the mother Teresa's, um, there's some other trends and themes I've seen in the conversations I've had with people about spirituality. Um, and for me, I'm more of a mystic. I'm less, I'm less passionate about what to call it and more passionate about, I want to be connected with it. So for me, loving God is a very, very literal thing. Um, you know, to say that I I don't want to, um, I don't want to be too simplistic here, but you have like this, um, idea of God versus the experience of God. And then the experience of God versus the experience of God as an intimate relationship. And so that, that ladder, that third domain is really where I kind of camp out, light my incense and, and do the work, the deep work of, um, understanding that I am connected with all, but to what extent can it be an experience? To what extent can my awareness be brought into that truly vibrant living kingdom of God, you know? And so, yeah, it's more mystical, it's more contemplative. And, um, and so I think, I think that has, uh, it's been a gift to the church, my orientation, but I think it's been something that I've enjoyed, um, talking about with other people who, who maybe get a little lost in some of the heady stuff. And I, and I, and I need those people. I need the pastors and the theologians to remind me of some of the concrete details. Um, but at the end of the day, um, you know, as much as I, uh, don't stop talking. My actual personality type is much more of an introverted. So, you know, having my sitar and a bunny and sitting in a cave and praying all day sounds like heaven to me. <laughs> He's not joking too. He plays the sitar yes. and has a bunny. I have, I love my rabbits. A very cozy bunny. <laughs> yeah. Chris, what can our, our listeners do? Um, again, not, not wanting to take your own personal experience and make it universal, but, but what, but what advice would you have, um, to encourage our listeners as individuals or in community with others to develop a greater awareness of what God is doing in us and around us? What can we do to increase our awareness or experience of God in our midst? Um, you know, I think the simplest way I would put it is just be honest about what's not working. You know, I, I think we tend to hand over that question to people who don't know our lives better than we do. And I think there's some real value in, in acknowledging this isn't working for me. And just like a good parent, the, 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 the paternal process acknowledges uniqueness and what works for one kid doesn't for another. Not, not to be juvenile here, like it, we're not children, you know, but, but that sense of like uniqueness and, and, um, uh, it, it being what it is. And, and so I think as mature adults, we, we have a right to name, um, what works for us and to really celebrate that and to have someone else tell you that 
God can't meet you there. I think it's an anthema. It's just ridiculous. It's not true. I think God meets us where we're at and, and getting more clear on that, getting more um, productive with developing our uniqueness with the assumption that God is in that, that God celebrates it, I think is a, is a really responsible strategy. And, and maybe the life coaching thing kind of maybe you're hearing some of that right now as I speak, that's something that I enjoy doing with people is like, hey, stop considering this or that approach as a mistake, but realize that there's a reason, there's a, there's a why behind all of this, this expression of who you are that is really important to look at. And I think behind all those questions, like that, that who you really are is who, that's where God's meeting you. And, and I think, I really believe that the more honest we can get with what works for us, the, the more we can develop practices and languages and a responsiveness um, to, to God that's like truly rewarding. And that's my own story. And the more I encourage other people to do that, I've never had anybody come back to me and be like, well, that didn't work, you know? <laughs> <laughs> Is there anything else in particular that we haven't touched on that you'd like to share with our <laughs> listeners today? I, I, I this this was good. I, I appreciate the opportunity to share and I've been on staff, you know, going on five years now. And so it's neat to kind of have an opportunity to uh, express to the listener a little bit about who I am that you might not really have access to if you're just kind of bumping into me on a Sunday morning. But I, you know, honestly, this, now this is going to sound maybe a little cheesy, but I, I have to say that, you know, this, this church is one of the healthiest, most rewarding employment situations I've ever been in. And for anyone listening who's wondering what it looks like to be in a church situation that feels safe and inclusive, but yet really about Jesus, man, this is this is the place. I mean, it really, I've never encountered a place that has such a drive for including others, but a, but a real firm commitment to the beauties of the gospel. And, um, typically in churches, I've, I've, it's, it feels like you have to trade one out for the other. Like if you're going to be inclusive, if you're going to let, you know, a non-straight person up on your stage, lead worship, um, well then you have to like minimize the, the beauty of Jesus or the, the literalism, the incarnational theology, which is the heartbeat of the gospel, you know, and, and, or if you're really about, you know, the, the, the Jesus as the incarnation of God and some of those, the ways in which scripture is revered, you really don't have uh, volunteer opportunities for folks who would be considered, you know, in the LGBTQIA camp or whatever. And this, this is a place that I've, I've seen it authentically embrace gospel oriented inclusion that speaks to my heart. And so it's, you know, I've told people, and I, I don't mean to sound critical, but I'll never go back. I'll never go to back to an evangelical church where I have to tiptoe around that issue. Um, I'll never go back. This is just seriously, whoever's listening to this, it's, it's just a healthy, vibrant, safe. If I can feel safe here at 45, after all the crazy adventures I've had in the church world and ministry world, then I, I am quite confident that others who have been a little cynical or skeptical of whether or not a church could facilitate true inclusion, as well as a conversation about Jesus, I would say this, this, this is the ticket, man. And it's been very, very encouraging over the years being a part of this church. So yeah, that's my final comment, <laughs> final thought or whatever. Chris, it's a joy to serve alongside you, brother. Same here. Thanks so much uh, for sharing with us today and uh, for the joy of, of making Christ's love known in this world together. It's an honor, man. That concludes this episode of Church Folks. Remember, the church has nothing to do with brick, mortar, or carpet. It's the people, the body of Christ from all over the world. This is just one of their stories. 
You can find out more about Birmingham and Berkeley First on our websites, fumcbirmingham.org and berkeleyfirst.org. Whether it's through our church or some other church, we hope you take the time to be a part of beloved community, grow in your faith, and share your stories. Peace.